This is the first Sunday in Advent. Anybody raised in the Church of Ireland? Nobody? Just, well, a few. Um, I guess that a lot of churches have a liturgical calendar for the year, and there's a lot of days in that calendar that I didn't fully understand what they meant. And, but there was a word that when I was a child, it brought joy to me when I first heard it every year around about mid-November, and it was the word Advent. You would hear the, the minister would get up and say, it's the Sunday next before Advent. And then the following Sunday was the Sunday before Advent. And then the following Sunday was the first Sunday in Advent. And there were four Sundays in Advent. And for me, Advent meant Christmas is coming. And all the things that, that go along with it. The word Advent literally means coming. It's from a Latin word that means coming. There's something that is going to come that we are waiting for. And Advent is a time of waiting. It's a time of anticipation. Uh, Kids get these little calendars and they open a little window every day in the calendar or maybe open a little box depending on what type it is. But there's that sense of building in anticipation and waiting and counting down the days. Something is coming. Something's going to happen. I can remember... I don't know, but I still get a wee bit overexcited probably about Christmas, but it was, it was mental when I was younger. And I remember a child one morning, I was lying in my bed. It was about 4.30 a.m. one Christmas morning, and I had a, the boundary had been set regarding when I was allowed to get up. And it was a long time after 4.30 a.m. It was actually, it was about 8, I think, 7.30 or 8. And I can remember lying in bed with the radio on for about three and a half hours, just listening to the radio, watching the, the minutes literally go by on the clock until I could get up. Waiting is what Advent teaches us. Waiting. That something is coming and we have to be patient and wait for it. So for the four Sundays in Advent this year, which leads us right up to Christmas Eve, I want to just bring some messages from the scriptures about the birth of Christ and the prophecies looking forward to his birth and, and what it means and how it should affect us and how we live. Um, Advent can be a time of darkness for a lot of people. Uh, physically, literally, it's, it's dark out there. You're getting up in the morning and you're going to work in the dark. And when you arrive home in the evening, it's dark. And part of that is good because you don't see all the stuff outside that you really need to be doing because it's too dark to see it. But then you see it briefly on a Saturday and it's depressing. You look out and you think, oh my goodness me, there's so much stuff I need to get done out there. But there's, it's a time of physical darkness. But for a lot of people, it's a season of, of deep darkness. It can be a season that's filled with stress. Because the world tells us that there is a perfect Christmas experience to be had and we need to have it. And that can cause a lot of stress, a lot of strain. It can be a time of loneliness. As people miss loved ones who maybe were there last year and aren't there anymore. It can be a time of debt, frankly. The pressure that's on families to, to reach expectations. It can be a time of disappointment as we set ourselves up for this great event and then it doesn't maybe happen quite how we thought it would. It can be a time of strained marriages as all those things can crowd in on couples and just cause stress. But darkness is a place that the people of God are familiar with sitting in and familiar with waiting in. If we go to Luke chapter 1, which is a really long chapter, and I'm only going to read the last couple of verses of it. 
We've got a song written by a guy called Zachariah. And Zachariah was the father of, of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, of course, was the forerunner of Jesus. He was the one who prepared the way for Jesus. And before John the Baptist was born, there were 400 years of silence from God. God did not speak for 400 years. After all the prophecies of the Old Testament, all the times that he spoke so frequently to his people, there were 400 years that there was not a word. But Zechariah, after the birth of John the Baptist, writes this prophetic song and he sings it to God. He says at the end of the song, we start from Luke chapter 1 verse 36. He says, you my child will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Now listen to this. Because of the tender mercy of our God. By which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. And to guide our feet into the path of peace. Zechariah writes of a group of people who are in a bleak state. Talks about the darkness and the shadow of death that they are living in. But he speaks of a sun, S-U-N, that is going to rise and bring light and bring guidance to those people. Christmas cards, you, you, you read at this time of year, you see a lot about light and you see a lot about peace. You could stand in a shop and you could lift a card that says peace on the front of it and has this lovely tranquil sort of scene in the snow with horses standing and a wee cottage and it's all pretty. And you're standing looking at this thing that says peace, but all around you there's very little evidence of peace in the lives of people in the shop. (laughs) In their eyes, in their faces, there's no peace. There's turmoil and there's stress and there's busyness. It's a very common image for God to speak into darkness and to talk about bringing light. And Zechariah says in verse 79 that when that light comes, it'll guide our feet into the way of peace. Does anybody need a bit of peace? (laughs) Say that an awful lot. You know, give my head peace. I need a bit of peace. Leave me alone. I need peace. But in the turmoil of life, Zechariah says that when the light of Christ shines on us, it brings us into a peaceful way of living. When Jesus comes, he does more than just forgive sins. He brings us out of darkness and he brings us into light. And what Zechariah is doing here, he's actually quoting from Isaiah hundreds of years before, maybe about 700 years before. Go to Isaiah chapter 8 and you'll see where Zechariah is leaning on in his song. These guys knew the scriptures. We don't know the scriptures well enough. But Zechariah and the others who were on the scene around the time of the birth of Jesus, knew the scriptures well. Isaiah chapter 8, the last couple of verses. And again, see the state that the people of God are in in Isaiah chapter 8. Verse 21, distressed and hungry. They will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into into utter darkness. 
This is the world that Isaiah was speaking into. A world of darkness and gloom and despair. And one of the things I love about the Bible, I love about the prophets, about the psalmists, about Jesus, about Paul, they did not whitewash the realities of life and what was going on. They didn't cover it over. When David was writing a psalm and David was annoyed with God and annoyed with what was going on in his life, he just wrote honestly about exactly where he was and what was happening. He didn't pretend everything was all sweet and nice. He wrote from his heart and he wrote the truth. He didn't whitewash over the reality of the darkness that he was living in. And Isaiah says it like it is. These people are living in darkness and despair and the shadow of death. We tend to whitewash over it. How many times this week have you been asked, how are you? And your response has been, fine. Yeah? Liars. All of you. (laughs) And me included. How are you? I'm fine. The question doesn't mean much. And the answer means even less. (laughs) Because in reality, none of us probably are fine. And I say it too. It's become just a replacement for hello. How are you? Fine. It's like just saying hello, hello. There's There's no actual depth to it. I have a few people in my life, maybe three or four, all of whom are older than me, And they will not let me away with the answer, fine. (laughs) They'll say, how are you? And I'll say, I'm fine, how are you? And they'll say, no, 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 no. (laughs) How are you? I'm I'm all right. I'm I'm, a bit busy and tired, but, but no, how are you? And they just go deeper and deeper and deeper. And they will not let you go. And that's good. To have someone who really probes deeply. That's difficult on a Sunday morning when we see each other. Although we make time for breakfast and coffee and we're having our communion meal today and we do make time. It can be hard to really probe deep with the how are you question. But that's where the discipleship groups are amazing. Some of you are in them, some of you aren't. If you aren't, I would really encourage you to get in one because I am absolutely loving it. Because ultimately what happens in that hour, we we talk about God's word, we ask each other some questions, we pray. Ultimately, the hour is about the real question that's being asked for 60 minutes solid is, how are you? Probing deep. How are you in God's word? What's God saying to you? How are you with what God's challenging you to? How are you in certain character areas in your life? How are you in temptation? How are you in your speech? How are you in your generosity? It's a really intense dealing with the question of how are you, but it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And you know what? On a sort of selfish level, it just feels really good to have two people looking at you and really wanting to know how are you. And if you're doing well, cheering you on. And if you're not doing so well, picking you up and helping you to get on your feet again. It's really precious. And if you're in one of those groups and you don't feel that's maybe quite happening as much as you want it to, set the example, drive it, make it happen in the group, enforce honesty, demand it, because you'll benefit from it so much. I go away feeling like I've just had, you know, some sort of therapy session on a psychiatrist couch or something you know I've just been somebody has given me attention and cared about me for an hour and I love it and I need it 
start really probing with each other and start being honest with each other about how you are. Don't whitewash over the darkness and the difficulty that's in your lives. You know, darkness by definition is the absence of light. You can take something in the dark and you can whitewash it and paint it all nice, bright, white, but it's still dark until some light shines on it. Darkness is the absence of light and we pretend everything is okay. And I don't know about you, but the relief I find when I'm honest with somebody and I tell them how life is actually going is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Ironically, even though I love Christmas, I probably find this the time of year that I experience the most spiritual darkness and heaviness and the most fear. This is the month when I find I have to battle those things more than any other time of the year. And one of the reasons that I know that this is is usually a difficult month is I've done 40 years of research and I can tell you with some confidence that after December, January will come. (laughs) And January is a long month. Some flipping nut job decided it was a good idea to pay people before Christmas which means you're waiting a long, long time in the dark for that next deposit into the bank account. And we teach our kids in school that January is 31 days long, but I reckon it's about 400 days long because that's what it can feel like, just waiting and waiting and waiting. When is is there going to be a wee bit of relief here? This can be a difficult time of year. We talk about the family of God, but do we actually exercise those true, genuine conversations? Do we? We talk about unity and being together, but are we actually hiding from each other? As you sit here, just a challenge for you. Does anybody in this room really know how you are? It does not necessarily have to be someone in leadership. Is there someone, as you sit here, answer this question internally. Is there somebody else in this room who really knows how you are doing? If there's not, do something about that please. Because the relief that it brings is immense. Don't whitewash it. Don't cover it over. It says in verse 22, they will look toward earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. But then Isaiah goes on and he sees something else other than darkness. In chapter 9, the more famous chapter, Nevertheless, he says, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. And here's the verse. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Of those on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Not any old light, Isaiah says. Those people who were sitting in darkness have seen a great light. Whenever the angel appears to Mary in Luke chapter 1 and talks to her about the son that she's going to have, Jesus, says in Luke 1 32, he will be great. And the Greek word is class and needs no explanation. It is the word mega. (laughs) He will be mega. He will be great. 
A great light is coming. We know the song that, that, that Wesley wrote, the great hymn of Christmas, where he sings, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Have you ever wondered what that's about? Risen with healing in his wings? Seems a bit bizarre, but the old Hebrew word, whenever it talks about the rays of the sun, it's the same as the word for wings. And that's why we ended up with that in the song. Risen with healing in his wings. In other words, the sun will arise. The sun will bring light in the darkness. And in the rays of his light, there is healing for our souls. In the dark waiting of Advent, the promise of God is that there is light. There is great light coming. God loves light. First recorded words of God, let there be light. He looks into the darkness and says, let's straighten this out immediately. The vast majority of us, the first thing we do when we go into our room these days is we put a light on. Or we face the consequences. Especially if there's Lego all over the floor and other little sharp things that will test your parental patience like nothing else. A good bit of Lego on the bottom of your barefoot. Yeah, that'll, that'll be something to talk about in the discipleship group. <laughs> what, what you say or what you think whenever, whenever that happens. God brings light into the darkness. In fact, John says in one of his letters, he said, God is light. In him there is no darkness. There's no darkness at all. And our calling, go to Ephesians chapter 5, do you see the calling that we have to live? As we wait in Advent in the dark, waiting for the light, what we're doing is we're going through a process every year that is symbolic. <coughs> But for a lot of people in the world, they are still living in darkness and they don't know yet about the great light. So there's a call on us in Ephesians chapter 5 in terms of how we live in the dark waiting of this world. In verse 8, Paul writes and says, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. In other words, Paul says to us, now that you have seen the light, now that your Advent period has ended and the great light has come, there is a way to live that reflects the fact that you've seen the light. And that is to bring light to others. We're still living in a dark world. Do you know what a barometer is? Or, or any of you, you know, <laughs> you don't see many barometers around these days, but a barometer, I remember one in my granny's house, this thing hanging on the wall, and it sort of, you know, the wee arrow moved around, and it would tell you whether the, the weather was going to be stormy or dry or, you know, whatever. And the barometers in this world are things like addiction and depression and consumerism which is sick to its very core, consumerism and greed and selfishness, those are the things that will let you know that the world is still very, very dark and in desperate need of light. And we are to live as people of the light. We are to bring great light into great darkness. We should glow in the dark. Kids, have you got anything that glows in the dark? You got anything that glows in the dark? Oh, we'll have to get you something that glows in the dark. If, you, if you've got something that glows in the dark, what do you do with it before you put it into the dark to try and make it glow as much as possible? What do you do with it? 
want to. You, you shine the light on it. Yeah, you get that thing and you shine a light on it. Or if you just put your watch, if you have a glow-in-the-dark watch and you put it under a lamp for a few minutes and let the light shine on it really intensely and then bring it into the darkness, it glows like crazy. It's picked up energy from the light and now it's releasing energy and it's glowing and glowing and glowing. We're to be like that. We're to be exposed to the light of Jesus, which charges up the light within us and then we go into the dark world and we shine because we have been with him. That is how we're called to live. And Jesus said two things that sound contradictory. He says in John 8, I am the light of the world. And he says in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. And you're like, Jesus, make up your mind. Is it you? Is it me? Who is it? Who is this light? And it's both. And what an amazing thing that what he declares himself to be, he says, I am the light that goes into this dark world and brings light to people in their darkness. And then he says to us, you're the light as well. You can do what I do. You can go into the world and bring light as well. There's no point in getting angry with the darkness. What the church sometimes does, which is pointless and futile, is to get angry about the darkness. Oh, it's awful, these people and what they're doing. Shopping on a Sunday and, and drinking excessive amounts of alcohol and taking drugs. And we, we, we gurn and we moan and we moan and we moan about the state of the world. When you go into the kitchen in the morning, if you get up early and it's still dark, you don't go in and start shouting at the dark. I curse you, darkened room. You don't tell the dark to go away. You put the light on. And if the church would, would just move away from the need to be the moral police of the universe that are just judging and criticizing how people are living... Instead of just constantly saying, oh, this darkness is terrible, the church should be bringing light into the darkness. That's the way to get rid of it. Don't, it's not that you draw alongside somebody who's living in darkness and make them feel bad about the fact that they're living in darkness. You bring light to them. You bring light to them. The welfare of any town, I believe, is directly related to the health of the church in that town, the people of God. And whenever society around us is disintegrating, and it is, the question should not be, what has gone wrong with the world? The question is, where's the light? Where's the light? Why, instead of why, walking about saying, why is everything so dark? Why are these young people and these families, and why, why is there so much darkness? The question should be, where are the people who are supposed to have the light? Where are the ones who are meant to bring the light into these scenarios and into these situations? I haven't quoted Bruce in at least two months, so I'm going to quote Bruce. Because Bruce sings in one song, he says, Where are the eyes, the eyes with the will to see? Where are the hearts that run over with mercy? Where's the love that has not forsaken me? And when I listen to that, I just hear him saying, Where is this church that I hear so much about? Where are the people who are meant to bring these things to the world? Where are they? And I think there's a cry in the world to see light and to see God and the light of Christ brought into the world, but it will only come when the church brings it. And it's an immense responsibility. I think most of us would agree there's a lot of darkness in our town. 
The responsibility is on us and on other believers in this town to bring light. It's immense responsibility. Huge. You know, we talk to those, those kids in here on Friday night. They want to be here every Friday night. The minute we're open every other Friday night, they want to be here every Friday night, but we can't open every Friday night because we don't have enough candles. We don't have enough light bearers in order to open the place every Friday night. We prayed afterwards on Friday night and the verse was shared that the, the fields are white on the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There is a hunger and a thirst to see light and to encounter Jesus. The church is not meeting the hunger. The church sits and talks as if the church has got everything to offer and nobody wants it. But what I observe is that there are people who are hungry to come into the light, but there's not enough light being shown. And it grieves me that there are a pile of young people in this town who would like to come here every Friday night and we have to say to them, no, sorry, the doors will be locked every other Friday night because do you know what? There are not enough Christians to come and bring you light. That's effectively the message we are sending and I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. The church is referred to, Jesus talks about the church in, in Revelation as lampstands. As he walks with John on the beach on Patmos Island, showing John this unbelievable revelation. The picture that John sees is lampstands on the beach. You think of that any way you want. Can't, big candlestick holders or whatever. And they're on the beach and Jesus is walking around in between the lampstands. He's in the midst of his church. And he says to them, if you don't start living the way I'm calling you to live, as children of light, he says, I will remove the lampstand. I'll remove it. I will take it away. If you're not carrying my light, I will take away the lampstand. No light for those who are living in the darkness and the shadow of death. I was talking to a kid on Friday night. There's a few of us speaking to one of them in particular. And this teenager was in tears because a friend had died this year. Living in the shadow of death. This is real. Like, don't read the, the, the scriptures and just think about this language and think, oh, the shadow of death, that was David back in Psalm, whatever, and that was Isaiah. No, this is real. This teenager who is living in the shadow of death and needs light. Who will bring it? Who will bring it? We dare not form isolated Christian groups who, who get into a cave and look at each other's light. Oh, your light's lovely. You, you're, you look so well today. Your little light's shining so beautifully in our little Christian cave. Jesus says, no, get out. <laughs> get out and bring the light into the dark world. A light is noticed. It cannot be hidden. And Jesus is really emphatic. And when he says, you are the light of the world, what the word literally means is, you only are the light of the world. It's not you and politicians or you and teachers or you and whatever. It's you. <laughs> You're the light of the world. And if you don't do it, nobody else will do it. 
got a silly picture in my mind this morning of Christian moths. You know a moth? You know that irritating thing that comes in the window whenever the light's on and starts flapping about the kitchen and will not go away? And you try to create this trail of lights out towards the door to try and coax it out again. You can't touch it or you'd wreck it because it's so fragile. This, this idea, you know, what, what Christians tend to do is they'll, they'll say to themselves, do you know what? Down at such and such a church, there's a fellow there preaching and his light's really bright. Let's all fly down there and fly around him and just flap around and be irritating for a while and get in the way. And they go and gather around places and people of light as if they cannot have light themselves and carry light themselves. There is not one person in this room who is qualified higher than any other person in this room when it comes to bringing light to this dark world. We are all on exactly the same level. And we all bear exactly the same amount of light, whatever amount of light we want to bring. There's no one who who is in a position where they cannot do it. John Wimber said, everybody gets to play. Everybody. Anything in your mind that you think disqualifies you from being the light that Jesus calls you to be, forget about it. The world is dark. Advent is dark for a lot of people because they don't know that there's a great light shining at the end of it. And they need to see it. When light is present, it changes the atmosphere. When you walk into a room, it should change. I do this at wakes which sounds maybe a bit morbid. But when I go into a wake, one of my real intentions, I I pray as I'm walking to the house, and I say, Jesus, come in here with me. And one of the things that I want to do when I go into the room is I want to see people's face change. I don't want to bring laughter. I don't want to bring a sense of lightness to what is a very serious occasion. But I want to see something change in the complexion of the people in the room. I want to see just a crack maybe of a smile, a sparkle in the eye. I want to bring light into the darkness. Whenever we walk into a room, we should change it. Do you ever get told off for leaving the light on? Anybody ever get told off for leaving the light on? You leave the lights on. God will never tell you off for leaving the light on. He wants you to leave it on 24-7. Burn and burn and burn and burn. Have you ever gone into a room upstairs and the light's on and you realize it's actually been on for several days and it's actually warmed the room up? (laughs) It's been on for that long. God says, don't ever turn the light off. Switch it on and leave it on all the time. The light is your character. It's who you are. You don't just put the light on on occasions from time to time when you're with certain people on a Sunday or whatever. The light burns brightly all the time. It's your character. It's how I greet the kids that walk into my room in school. It's how I greet my family when I come home after a tiring day. It's how we interact with people when we really don't feel that we have the energy for them, but we still interact with them anyway. It's how you get up off your backside and just go intentionally to bring light to people, even though you'd rather maybe sit down and take a rest. You see, the light is not something that we have. It's something that we are. Jesus didn't say, you've got the light. He said, you are the light. And the very act of positioning yourself in places of darkness 
means you will shed light on the darkness. I'm nearly done. Bushels. You ever heard of a bushel? What is a bushel? You sit in church and you listen to these boys reading the Bible and talking about the light being, being hidden under a bushel. It's like a bowl or a basket, like a shade. And Jesus said, you're the light of the world. And he said, you know, a city on a hill can't be hid. And he says, your light should not be put under a bushel. It shouldn't be closed in. You shouldn't be keeping it to yourself. And I had a list of things initially when I, when I wrote this. I had a list of things that I, that I thought, here are the bowls that people will put over their light that will prevent others from accessing it. But then I scrubbed the list and brought it down to one thing. And the thing is this, selfishness. That is what will hide your light. Selfishness. The failure to die to self and to sacrifice and give yourself away to bring the light to other people. You must kill selfishness. There's no such thing as a selfish follower of Jesus. Because followers of Jesus have been told to take up their cross and follow him. So if there's still selfishness, it needs rooted out. It is not Christian. Serve people. I sent a message yesterday to the ones that were out helping on Friday night, and I thank them for serving the young people of this town. Serving them. Because when you serve people, selfishness dies. It has to. Romans 13, 12 says, The night is nearly over, and the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. This might be slightly too big an image for you. You might think I'm getting carried away and I've watched too many Marvel movies with Ashley. But we are warriors of light in this dark world. We really are. And we need to see ourselves in that way. Warriors, soldiers who have put on the armor of light. It's not a compliment to say that we are the light of the world. Jesus didn't say that so we'd feel good about ourselves. It's a responsibility and a massive one. And I take it extremely seriously. Extremely seriously. That if people come into contact with me and don't see the light of Jesus, I have failed. I really have. And if we don't do it, it cannot be done. John Calvin isn't here and John Wesley isn't here and Charles Spurgeon isn't here and William Booth isn't here and David Wilkerson isn't here. We are here. This is our time. And all of heaven is watching to see if we will actually shine in this dark age that we live in. Advent is a time of dark waiting. And we have the light so who will you bring light to in this season? Who will you shine in front of? And will you be able to wait? Here's the question, and I'm done, Aaron. If you want to come up with one more verse to read, but you can come on ahead. Will you be able to wait in the darkness until the promise comes? Many of you are maybe waiting and you know all about the, the feeling of the dark waiting of Advent. Just wondering if it's ever going to happen. If the light is ever going to come. There's a verse I want to read in Habakkuk, if you could go there. Habakkuk's hard to find. 
towards the end of the Old Testament. Not hard to find if you're using your phone, but <laughs> Habakkuk is before Zephaniah in the minor prophets towards the end of the Old Testament. And this this I want to be a word to, to you, for you. I've challenged you about bringing your light into the dark waiting of people's lives. But I want this to, to be a challenge to, to all of you who are waiting in the dark for, for light to come in some situation. And you know that God is calling you to something. And you're waiting for something to happen and you're getting frustrated in the waiting. It says in Habakkuk 2, verse 2 and 3, the Lord replied, write down the vision. Write down the revelation. The thing that he has shown you or spoken to you. Write down the vision. Make it plain on tablets. In other words, you know, that was tablets of stone. This means write it down. Get a bit of paper, get a book, get a journal. Write down the vision and make it plain so that a messenger may run with it. For the revelation, the vision awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Listen to this. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and it will not delay. Though it linger, though the Advent season is long and it's dark, the promise will come. And I can see light beginning to shine in this town. I do feel there has been a period where table has been waiting in the dark. Talked a week or two ago about the, the chestnut going into the ground, go, the seed going under the ground, into the dirt, into the darkness, into the cold, into obscurity, in order that a tree may come forth from it. And I do believe maybe this, this period that we've been in, for, for potentially a year has been a period where God has been working in the dark and we have been waiting in the dark, but lights are starting to shine and new things are beginning to happen and it is exciting. And I want to commend you who have had the patience and waited for the light to come. For many have come for a season and gone again and didn't wait in the dark and therefore won't get to experience the light that God's bringing to this town. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Advent is a time of waiting in the dark for the light to come. Don't give up waiting. And don't fail to bring that light into the dark waiting of others. Let's pray.